I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for what he has prepared. Um, but as for us, Lord, uh, we love you. And we want to hear from you this morning. So Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to speak to us. Uh, would you make our hearts responsive to your voice? As always, uh, we recognize that it's you who makes our hearts responsive, that gives us the capacity to respond to you. And so uh, we uh, commit this morning that we're here to meet with you. Um, uh, we want to hear from you. And so thank you that you're alive and that you're at work and that we get to hear from the word and celebrate together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I had a funny... Uh, experience at Target a number of years ago. I think I've actually told this story before, but we were living in Chicago in the city and Target's in the suburbs because they're ginormous. So we took a train and a bus and a bus, I think, to get to Target, Jenny and I did, and did some shopping, got back home and realized that they had not charged us for a crock pot that we bought uh, at Target. It's a nice crock pot. Uh, about, a, I think it was a month later, maybe two months later, we went back to that Target, got some additional stuff, and I grabbed one of the crockpots off the shelf, I took it to the front, to the cashier, and I said, so here's the deal. Uh, some time ago, we bought this crockpot, and you didn't charge us, and I'd like to pay for it. She said, okay, so she, she, rang, she rang it up, but it was no longer on sale, so when she rang it up, it was quite a bit more than the price when we had uh, been there. And I, so I explained, I said, actually, um, this, was, this was on sale uh, when we got it originally, um, so uh, I'd like to pay the sale price. And she said, you're gonna have to pay full price because it's no longer on sale. And I said, I don't think you understand. You donated me a crockpot. I have the crockpot. The crockpot's in my house. We've already crockpotted with the crockpot. <laughs> I'm willing to pay the sale price for the crockpot. She said, sir, you're gonna have to pay the price of the crockpot today. At which point I thought maybe I was on like a hidden camera show or something. I said, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I want to first of all say thank you for donating me a crockpot. And secondly, I'm willing to pay the sale price or I will not pay anything. And she said, fine, don't pay anything. It's a silly story, it's a silly encounter. I walked out of there very confused. It was a great crock pot. We used it for many years. But can you imagine in that scenario, of course you can't imagine this, you would never be so trite. Saying, listen, it's gonna be on my terms or not at all, and declining $100. You can't imagine doing that, right? <laughs> I can't imagine either. I was preparing for this morning, uh, and I had, I had been through the story, the narrative that I wanted to cover, and there was one little snippet of the story right on the front side that I kept getting hung up on. It's a story that's all too common, all too common of an experience, and for many, what I have found is that it's actually a, it's a turning point 
in faith in walking with God. You, of course, would never say on my terms or not at all, right? So Jacob left his parents' house. Remember what happened last week? He left his parents' house and he headed back to Haran, which is his grandfather's place of origin, his, his hometown. And on the way there, he hiked, uh, we don't actually, it's, it's a number of days journey, but uh, on the way there, he's wandering through the wilderness and uh, lays down for the night and it says that he took out a stone and he laid it under his head to sleep, which to me is actually the most confusing part of the story. And while he was asleep there by himself out in the wilderness, uh, he had a dream. And many of you uh, are familiar with this dream. He had a dream, and in his dream, there was a ladder extending from where he was sleeping up to heaven. And it says that there were angels going up the ladder and angels coming down the ladder. And it says that God was standing above the, the ladder And in his dream, God speaks to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So he essentially introduces himself. Jacob, I am the God that your grandfather and your father have served. The land on which you lie, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Anyone else here had a dream like that? This is pretty big stuff, right? I'm going to turn you into a nation. I'm going to give you this, this country, this property. And, and it's a renewal of his promise to Abraham that through Jacob's descendants, all of the families of the earth will be blessed, which is a reminder that God was planning from this time in Genesis 28. He was planning for your blessing, right? Because it was through his descendant, of course, that we have a savior. Jacob woke up. He said, wow, that was, that was a crazy dream. It actually says that he, he woke up. This is in Genesis 28. It says he woke up and he was full of fear. So he said, God was in this place and I didn't know it. I, I thought I was just in the wilderness sleeping on a rock. And so he, it says that he took the rock that he had rested his head against and he, he put it up as a monument and he poured oil over it and said, this is the house of God, the gateway to heaven. And here's where the story just blows my mind. And it blows my mind because it's so preposterous to me and yet so relatable to me. You ever see someone do something and you go, that's terrible, I get it, right? 
Now I remind you, descendants like the dust spread out over this land, blessings to all the nations of the earth. I will be with you, I will keep you, I will not leave you. I will do all of this because I am God. Genesis 28, 20. And Jacob also made a vow. But he started his vow with the wrong word. If. God, I really, um, I really like your offer. And um, it sounds pretty good. I like, uh, I like what you're suggesting. However, I have a few conditions of my own. If God will be with me, keep me on this journey that I take, give me food to eat, garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a memorial stone, will be God's house. And of everything that you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. <laughs> so terrible. I want you to know that when I become a billionaire, I'm planning to be generous at that point. You heard it here first. Jacob says, okay, I'll tell you what. If you keep me out of trouble, if you keep me safe, if you keep me well-fed, if you put clothes on my back, if you bring me back home safety, safely, I suppose at that point you can be my God. And also, of all the stuff that you give me, at that point, at that future time, I would be willing to give back to you a portion of it. <laughs> Jacob is a wily character. And actually next week, we're going to unpack the consequences, the relational consequences of his tendency to turn every relationship that he has into a transactional relationship. It's deadly. It's toxic. And he's doing it with God. God, if you will meet my conditions, then you get to be my God. So here's the question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to end with one statement today. What condition have you placed on God? What is, it ne what is it that needs to happen in order for you to fully commit, to fully trust, to fully like rest your life in his hands? What is it that he has to do to secure that commitment from you? What is it, what is it that, that is out in front of you that needs to happen before you can really commit to seeking God in prayer and in the word? What is it that you have placed as a condition of you really truly serving God with your resources, with your abilities, with your time? 
I plan to follow God. I plan to follow God's calling. There's just a few things on the front side of that that I need him to line up for me. I probably don't encounter in my role as a pastor a mindset more deadly to walking with God than this one. Once this happens, I plan to get really serious about obeying God. Or, until God does these things, I can't fully commit to him. Or, and this is on the back end of it, I would have followed God unconditionally with a whole heart. I would have given my life to him, but he did not meet my conditions. He did not fulfill my expectations. He did not go along with the agreement. So what condition have you placed on God? If you're not sure, I'll help you do a self-assessment. What is the thing that, when removed, makes you question your commitment to God? That's your condition. When this thing is taken away, all of a sudden I go, I don't know if I can, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Malachi 3.14, you have said, it's pointless to serve God. What benefit is it for us that we've done everything that he's required? That we walked in mourning before the Lord of armies. So now we call the arrogant blessed. What he's saying is that there, this is a period of time where everyone has basically rejected God. And they're looking at their current situation, which is because of their disobedience, right? And they look at their situation and they say, what's the point of serving God? We call the arrogant blessed, which means the one who has said, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to serve God. I can't control him anyways. I can't get him to do the things that I need for him to do for me to get the life that I want. I can only get that. The best guarantee that I have is to go after it myself. And so I go after it myself, and I get it for myself. And someone else looks at me and says, wow, he has a blessed life. That's what God's calling out. You call the arrogant blessed. The ones who have rejected me and grabbed a hold of everything they want, those are the ones that you envy. So here's my statement. Your conditions are your infinite loss. When you say, on my terms, or not at all, your conditions are your infinite loss. Your conditions, those things that you require in order to fully entrust yourself, in order to fully commit yourself in relationship with God, your conditions reflect your confidence that you should be God of your life. You track with that? 
When I place conditions on my allegiance to him, what I'm attempting is a role reversal. I want to be in this relationship, but God, you need to understand I need to be in charge of this relationship, and I need you to comply. Your conditions are not a testimony of God's worth, but our conditions are a testimony of our own ignorance. When I place conditions on absolute, total allegiance, obedience, love for God, a life of worship, my conditions make it known that my loyalty is for sale. And if God's not willing to pay the purchase price, then I will find someone who will. My conditions are the result of my own blindness and my conditions only ensure my own harm. When I say it'll be on my terms or not at all, both options lead to the same tragic outcome. God says in Matthew 6, Don't worry saying, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? Everyone worries about these things. Everyone gives their lives to seeking the things that they believe they need for life. And your Father who created you, the one who, who spoke the universe into existence, do you think that He is unaware of your need? He knows what you need. So seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all of those other things will be added, will be provided. He's not blind. He's not unaware. He has not wrested uh, the, the good outcomes of your life in your hands. Psalms 37.4. When I first encountered this scripture, as a young man, I, I actually misunderstood it. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I read that, I thought, oh, that's the trick. If you love God enough, then he will be willing to meet all of your conditions, right? He will give you all the stuff that you want. the psalmist is actually declaring is that when God is the object of your greatest joy and satisfaction, we actually discover that he's the only reliable source of joy and satisfaction, without which all other sources become contaminated. It's not that God says you have to choose between this and this. He says, no, I will provide you everything that you need. And we say like Jacob, wow, that's, that's a great offer. I'll tell you what, I'll consider that, but there's some things I'm going to need you to agree to. Because me and my position and my perspective on life and the universe and the purpose of my own existence, I've come to some conclusions and I need you to get on board.
when I do that, not only do I miss out on relationship with Him, the greatest purpose of my existence, but missing out here contaminates all of this in the long run. I miss out on both. God, would you give us the capacity to at least honestly confess before you that we have a tendency to approach relationship with you transactionally. We, we give ourselves with conditions, believing that we must steer you into meeting our expectations. Would you bring us to a place of, of confession, of repentance, and saying, God, before you with open hands, whatever you will, I receive. And God, would you become our greatest delight? Would you become the desire of our hearts? Give us a childlike faith to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.